Hello and welcome to another episode of Emerging Excellence. I'm your host, Felicity Fury, CEO and founder of We Aspire. Today, we have an awesome guest on the podcast. She is a, I can't believe she said yes to my request for coming on. We have the amazing Natalie Kiriaku, OA. Amazing to have you here, Natalie. Thanks so much for saying yes to coming along. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm very flattered. Well, you have a very impressive CV and I feel like it just keeps getting spicy, popping up on LinkedIn so much. Top 100 innovators list. Uh, you're the founder of Migrant World, Forbes 30 under 30. The list goes on of all the incredible things that you've achieved in your career. And for me, you're a leader in the environment space and climate change and someone who only had an idea about making something happen and actually taking action. You went and did it. And I've just been so impressed watching you over the last many years since we met way back uh, in the day at Foundation for Young Australians, I think during the YSP program. Would that be right? Yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah. So I'd love to kick things off with asking you about how did you go about this journey? And, you know, was it was leadership something that you aspired to or was it something that kind of just happened because you had this passion for change? Yeah, I, I don't think I ever driven to lead. It wasn't a goal I had, but I had a problem that I saw that I wanted to solve. And so it all started because I was on a mission. I was very, very passionate about wildlife and the environment. And in fact, I spent, it was about 10 years ago, I spent a few months living in the Bornean jungle. I also spent some time in, in Sri Lanka. And I was working in Borneo at an orangutan rehabilitation centre where I was part of a rehabilitation project. And I think just the exposure to some of the threats that our wildlife was experiencing really opened my eyes to a whole new world. And I mean, my experience in Borneo was just incredible. I was, each morning I was bottle feeding infant orangutans. I was sourcing food and enrichment for local wildlife, teaching juvenile orangutans how to climb, trekking through jungles to monitor orangutan nest populations. And it was the most incredible experience. But at the same time, much of Malaysian Borneo, where I was, had been just devastated by deforestation. And so I think witnessing that intersection of community struggles, social equity, wildlife endangerment, species extinction, really set me on my path. It was, uh, I think, the, the first time that I had seen this this chaos and crisis so up close. And and coming back to Australia, I realised we we were having the same problems in Australia. And so I I felt deeply passionate about it. I mean, you know, when you go through that phase, I, I returned home and you go through that phase of really, uh, I guess, maybe cocky ignorance where <laughs> you, I, my dad would ask me if I wanted ice cream for dessert and I'd say, do you know palm oil is an ice cream and one football field worth of virgin rainforest is being decimated every second and why are we doing nothing? And so I think that was that moment where a little bit of a fire was lit in me and as annoying and maybe entitled as I was, I was also really passionate and curious. And so following my trip to Borneo and, and and my travels and some of the research I'd done, I decided that I was going to start my own initiative. I wanted to find a way to support 
grassroots charities that were addressing um, wild, the wildlife extinction crisis. I wanted to find ways to engage young people in wildlife and environmental conservation. And I wanted to find ways to make wildlife in the environment cool and fun and accessible. So I decided to create a mobile game app that was essentially Think of it like Sim City, where kids could build their own world and rescue wildlife, build habitats, clean up oil spills. In the app, each intent was that each animal represented in the app would represent a real life charity that kids could support or engage with. And I mean, the idea was quite ambitious and I just went all in. So I ended up selling my car and moving back in with my parents and putting my life savings into it. Even though I had no background or experience in this, it was all just passion and naivety. Ended up working and I we we launched the app and we ended up I built a company around and that company is My Green World and the aim is to create education programs to engage young people in wildlife and environmental conservation and so that's that's really how I got started there was no intent to lead it was just about passion and building communities and trying to do my own bit to make the world a better place, as cliche as that sounds. That's so cool. I, yeah, so admire that you just went all in. I think sometimes it's actually helpful when you are naive because you don't know how much effort it's going to take. And then when you do go all in, you know, saying I love around um, burning the boats, you know, like you're all in, there's no going back now. So, you go, okay, I'm just going to keep you know going forward and driving and, and problem solving you actually just reminded me when you talked about orangutans I think the first time I heard you speak you had this hilarious story about an orangutan stealing your underwear did that actually happen Is that <laughs> it did it did happen I was <laughs> I was in my guest house in Borneo and it bordered onto the jungle and I heard a bit of a commotion out on my balcony and I walked outside and there was fully grown male orangutan and he had my underwear had my exercise I had these exercise gym pants and he had them draped around his neck and was holding my underwear and I just didn't think I I just went to try and snatch them back off him because I wanted my underwear and so I ended up getting in a tug of war contest with this orangutan and he he won and he ended up <laughs> retreating back into the jungle with my underwear draped around his neck and I have photos of it I've presented them at a few schools I've spoken at because nobody believes me. So my underwear are still in Borneo somewhere with um with Miko. His name was Miko the orangutan, and he actually featured in the app I created. So the orangutan in that my green world's app was called Miko and it was based off Miko the orangutan that stole my underwear in Borneo. That's so cool. I love that story. Uh, very powerful imagery. I feel like such cheeky personality and it when you shared that story the first time, it really, I think, had me feel that connection to the beautiful animals. And even though I've never been in the Borneo jungle, I could really go, oh, wow, okay, this makes, they're like, I feel like almost like people, these beautiful uh, orangutans, you know, it just yeah. it was such a powerful story. Do you feel like storytelling has been a way that has enabled you to get your message out there and get people on board with this idea? Because, you know, you've gotten so much support for what you're doing. Absolutely. I think people connect with stories. People 
And there's different ways to communicate messages, particularly around the environment and nature. And everybody has different things that resonate with them. And it's about finding <clears throat> creative ways to to communicate nature and climate. So with young people, and, and I think particularly my work with young people has taught me how to do that in better ways. It's about linking to real world stories. So often, I mean, I work in a, a business with a lot of businesses now, and often we'll talk about these sort of abstract concepts of nature and climate. But what really gets through to people is if you can tie in examples of how spe- how we are affecting species, tie in really cool facts and and stories about wildlife and ecosystems. If we're talking about, for example, in a business setting, how we want to address if we want to remove deforestation from a company's supply chain or we want to improve improve the ethics the environmental ethics of a supply chain don't just talk about that weave in examples about humpback whale migration patterns or or talk about you know a cool how wombats do you know cube shaped poos or whatever and because people remember these little strange and quirky stories about wildlife and the environment and it does it does get them thinking a bit more. I think it's about really tying in because tying in these stories because nature is just so fundamentally cool on its own. We just need to um, share those stories and amplify them. Absolutely. And even us as a business, we, were, we had an event last week and we had, you know, creating name tags and we were thinking, how can we make this more sustainable? Because we had the plastic sleeves and name tags go in. I think even just something simple as people handing back their name tag at the end saying, do you want to recycle this? But it had me stop and think, okay, where does this plastic come from? How is it manufactured? Is there a better way we can do it? How can we be more sustainable? And it can be something, you know, really simple and small like a name tag. But I think having the power to stop and really think about it, that really takes leadership. Is that a big thing that you work on with organisations is just really stopping and thinking about their impact because we're just so, I feel, you know, in the moment today, you know, just gratification, immediate, you know, making things happen as quickly as possible. We're caught up in that world. Yeah, and absolutely. And I think we're already starting to see it. We've got a lot of um, new regulation globally coming down the line that is almost forcing organisations around the world to consider deeply their impacts on nature. And that is looking at who their suppliers, what their supply chain looks like, what where all of their sites might be based and how that might impact species on those sites or locations mm-hmm. or ecosystems on those sites and locations. So people are slowly being encouraged to look really deeply at every facet of both their business and their individual behaviour and actions and recognise the the direct impacts that they might be having on nature. And I think that's a really positive development. Definitely. And you spoke a lot about young people and I've done a lot of work with school students and young people from an engineering perspective, and it's really fascinating working with them. I feel naturally they're thinking about sustainability and climate change. And if we're doing a workshop with them, they'll offer, you know, if they can pick a work on, they will be really drawn to those kinds of impacts. And I feel like it's more so than some millennial, the millennial generation, I'm not thinking about it as prevalently as they are. Have you found that with your work that then the generation coming through have it at the forefront and they're more focused on addressing those issues? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm very much led by young people. I have a huge amount to learn from them. And even when I started my company, we had an advisory board and I brought on an eight-year-old onto our advisory board because we didn't feel that we could create 
education programs for kids without really engaging and listening to young people. I mean, young people are, you know, customers and current future workforce. They're the shapers of our policy. They were the architects of the climate movement, the power behind the civil rights movement, the Arab Spring, the Occupy Wall Street movement, the Black Lives Matter movement, the Me Too movement. They're also the heirs to the planet. So they play a really, really powerful role. We have one of the most powerful voices for climate change in the world is Greta Thunberg, and she has she in a community of young people have mobilized millions around the world marching for climate action and driving climate policy we've got yeah we've got teenagers suing the australian government to prevent coal mine extensions and we have young people in the netherlands that sued their government for inaction on climate change and they won so i think there is a huge amount of power and momentum behind young people but also unfortunately they are forced to they're forced into a situation where there isn't really any other choice for them to learn and engage about these issues because they have inherited them and it is substantially impacting their future but i am very much inspired led and i guess grateful for young people and the role that they are playing in climate and nature. And how are you seeing organisations respond to that? And I feel like I think we're in the same generation. So we've got the the Gen Z is absolutely kicking up a storm. It's, you know, unacceptable for them, which I think is awesome that they're having this stand. And then we have more senior generations like boomers, Generation X, who are in those leadership roles and organisations. I feel so many are embracing uh, this change. How are you seeing people responding? And do you think what, you know, what's the impact if they don't as well for the future? Yeah, I think for businesses, there's a huge amount of risk for uh, not proactively addressing climate and nature. And we're already seeing there's, you know, the what happens for organizations that lag in climate and nature they they do face reputational risks there is a huge amount of protest activism shareholder resolutions to companies that are lagging on climate change a lot of that is driven by young people and there's i think we went through a stage where we were seeing a rise in greenwashing so companies that were putting forward misleading statements about their environmental progress and i guess the big communities erupted in response to clamp down on greenwashing and now we're seeing companies who are a little bit it's called green hushing they're becoming quieter about what they're doing and they're doing a lot of their environmental work in the background to make sure that they aren't making misleading environmental claims. So, uh, but that being said, we have a lot of progress in Australia and around the world. Organisations, and I never would have imagined this when I started 10 years ago, but organisations now are prioritising climate change as one of their key strategic priorities. We have organisations, you know, finance, from financial institutions to agriculture companies to fashion houses that are undertaking climate risk assessments or nature risk assessments. They are analysing their supply chains. They're making net zero commitments and developing an action plan to address some of their, their climate and nature impacts. So, and that's a really, really positive development coinciding with government policy that is starting to set guardrails around how businesses will be required to, to adhere to climate and nature regulation in future so it's um quite a lot is happening there is so much I, you just reminded me of the i think it was the four corners episode where they were looking at 
the carbon, like the planting of trees to off to do the carbon offset. And then they'd gone into the detail of where that had actually come from. I'm not sure if you've seen it, but I was so yes. blown away. And you know, I think that takes so much leadership to like really go to the nth degree to investigate, okay, what does this actually mean? Am I just ticking a box or are we really like let's really investigate that? I think it was such an interesting piece around the reality yeah. of it. Uh, did you see it? What are your thoughts? Is that yeah? I did, I did. And I think there there have been a lot of issues with the carbon market, as we all know, particularly integrity issues. I think that it I think that there is a role the carbon market can play. I think what it's really pointed out is something that many people have already known is the importance of engaging community at a grassroots level in finding equitable solutions in having strong measures strong accountability measures and frameworks to ensure that we are able to manage, track and um, ensure that benefits are both being delivered to the community and the environment. And I think in some of these, you know, the Four Corners episode demonstrated that this isn't yet happening or this isn't happening in some parts of the world. And so mm-hmm. I think in the environment in particular, there is just a real need to ramp up our our collaboration, our community focus, making sure that we're elevating a diversity of voices and actually listening to on the ground voices who, um, and particularly Indigenous voices who have the best knowledge on the ground of, um, you know, the the ecosystems that they operate in. 100%. We had a guest speaker actually come uh, to one of our events recently for We Aspire and she's an Indigenous leader originally from Georgia country up in North Queensland and they did a partnership with the Army and it was a really unlikely partnership and you know shout out to Tim and Eileen who pulled it off and the Indigenous people actually got training as army reservists and it had all these positive community impacts and it's a whole story that I, I won't go into too much detail but just one little thing that they they were doing when the army was working on country was they they said you know if we went to Afghanistan there's you know three tribes in this one area I would get a leader from each of those tribes to help me explain the you know the culture in the country and we don't really even do that much in Australia and so anyway they partnered up and one day they said oh the sea cucumbers are coming in early this year you're going to have some some boats coming to North Queensland and the army said oh don't be silly it's not the time of year it's two months too early it's not going to happen and seriously a few days later there was boats coming in from from the north and yeah people trying to um to migrate to australia and it was so unexpected but they had that local language and that local connection to environment and community and i think it's something that we easily overlook these days and and we don't have that that real connection to what's happening every day in our environment yeah absolutely and uh, I've actually been doing my morning routine uh, out on my balcony and just like the slow nature, just like there's a scrub turkey that's been making this mound over the last <laughs> few weeks. And I just love watching, I don't know if it's a him or her, but love just like sitting there and watching and observing what's happening in nature. And I feel like we've really lost that connection day to day in our busy city lives. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even when we're... I, in my field, where we're talking about climate and nature and developing climate and nature policies and strategies, I think one thing we all need to do more of is make sure we're connecting on the ground with the things that we're talking about. 
I mean, I can't do my job effectively if I'm sitting in an office all day just talking about climate and nature. I need to be experiencing climate and nature. I need to be on the ground checking out some of these projects that are underway and connecting with community and really understanding at a local level what's happening and also having the opportunity to to just appreciate nature um, right now. I'm in the country, my parents' place, actually, and it is just this really nice reminder of why I do what I do and also being aware of the changes that have taken place. We are we are witnessing a, a mass extinction crisis and you can see it happening. It's just if you reflect back to say maybe 20 years ago, I remember, you know, getting in my parents' car in the mornings, the car, the windshield would be covered with bugs it's not anymore. We don't, we don't have bugs around here anymore or, or barely any. And just that change over just the last 20 years, it is visible. I think it's just being aware of them and we can only be aware of them if we're connecting and really cognizant to some of the, how, how nature is interacting around us. And um, some. I was going to ask you, or was I going to ask you, um, if you're a young person listening to this thinking, I want to do something, I want to take action in this space, what would be what would be your recommendations, particularly in the environment, but also, you know, action, you know, say like the values you need as a leader to take action in this space. That makes sense. Yeah. There's a couple that I would say. I mean, there's so many really important, uh, I guess, attributes for leadership and I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all approach to it. Uh, for me, I really personally admire authenticity, curiosity, passion, kindness. I like courage and boldness, particularly coming from young people, self-awareness and, and action. I think what drove me and helped me become a leader, though even though I'm not sure I am leader, but it was passion. I was fueled by passion and curiosity. Got me a long way um, in my career, and I was able to develop other skills along the way. I think it's also important to create your own version of leadership that suits your own unique style. Um, just because a certain type of singular leadership is modelled to us doesn't mean it works for us. And it took me a really long time to realise that, that I could be my authentic self and build off my own strengths. I think we have been taught is that leadership is very singular and you need these certain traits and I mean you know you've seen all the leadership quotes where it's like you're you're a wolf pack you're the wolf in the pack and you need to rule with an iron fist and all of this sort of thing and I just think that <laughs> I mean that's just ridiculous it, leadership is so diverse and there's a range of leadership you don't have to be the CEO of a company to be a leader you can lead in your own community you can lead and influence your family there's so many different ways and it's not I don't think it's particularly about aspiring to be a leader. It's For me, it was more working towards a goal that I had and to be the best version of myself. And so I think when I stick to that, that's what I've found the most helpful. And the second is mentoring and reverse mentorship. I was both mentored and I mentored other people and I found being mentored by diversity of people was incredibly helpful for me and I was able to pick and choose what really resonated with me. But then also when I became a mentor, I think that was a quite a defining moment for me because I realised that what I was telling other people, I, I actually needed to 
to practice what I preached. I would, you know, speak to other women and tell them that they were worthy and they had a right to be occupying space. But I wouldn't think that about myself. And so it actually made me consciously start to practice that myself. So that reverse mentorship and that ability to both mentor and be a mentee is really, really helpful. I can so relate to that. I feel like that happens every time when I speak to another yeah person who's like, I want to do this. Here's what you should do. And then I go, oh, wow, I really need to listen to my own advice. Yeah. It's so helpful. Um, and how do you, oh, it's, I've just like now just been totally, my brain has just gone to all of the um, things I should be doing right now and oh, no. the self-advice I would give. Oh, no, I even had that with, um, I was having a conversation with my mum a couple of weeks ago and she was asking about imposter syndrome and what it is and what it means. And I was saying, oh, there's these couple of women I into that I mentor and they, they have imposter syndrome and I just don't understand it. They're so wonderful and all of this stuff. And she said, oh, you have that. And I said, no, no, I don't have that. I actually am an imposter. And she just, <laughs> and then we just paused and I realised what I said and we thought, and we just started laughing. So it's it's a very real thing and it's hard oh. to recognise it in yourself when you're not following your own advice. 100%. I can definitely relate to the imposter syndrome. And it's so surprising because I think, oh, there's not that many people. And I know the stat is actually 70% of people experience imposter syndrome in their careers, which yeah. blows me away because I think, oh, I'm sure it's only like 10% of us or it's a small number. But it's so fascinating. And the leaders that we get to work with, we, with we Aspire, the majority of them experience that. And they're doing amazing things with their career. And I'm so surprised. And even the mentors we have share the same thing with me of, yeah, I feel like that. And I go, oh, my gosh, you're this amazing CEO or executive or, or leader. Yeah. And I think it is something that can really, you know, if we really listen to it, get in the way of making the impact that we want to make as a leader, which, yeah, it's just not doing a service to anyone, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What would be your advice for developing yourself as a leader and even, you know, overcoming some of those imposter syndromes? Is it getting a mentor? Is it, you know, just taking action and figuring out along the way? If you're someone who does want to, to you know, be a leader, go solve problems, how do you develop those qualities? Yeah, uh, a couple of things. I, I mean, I had the fortune of being part of a range of accelerated programs and mentorship programs, one of which was the Foundation for Young Australians, which was really helpful. I think the first step is understanding what you want and setting some goals. I find it is much easier to develop yourself as a leader if you have, I mean, and I don't know if I like using this term, but a bit of a North Star. What are you working towards? What are your passions? What ignites you? Figuring that out, I think, is a really crucial first step. Those those things that light a fire in your belly, it's not just leading for the sake of leading. It's having something that you're really passionate about. And second, I would say a mentor. And a mentor can even help you develop your goals or, or just talk things through, share their journey, learn the journeys of a variety of different people. Um, I think that there's a few things you can do in terms of developing out those attributes. So one is, as I mentioned, creating your own version of leadership that that suits you. But also I'd see leadership as something that is comes in a variety of shapes and sizes and is very much reciprocal. So it is recognising that it is not just 
leader who stands alone, but you are um, you have a network of people around you and you are learning about other people. So if you can take time to really learn about the skills around you and the people around you and how to leverage them and empower them in the best way possible to ensure that you can I know achieve the outcomes that you want as a business. But I think that that's I think that's some of the issue I have with leadership. It's often seen as one singular person. That's never the case. It's very much networked, connected, reciprocal, um, deep learning and curiosity about other people, understanding what how you can bring out the best in people, how you can support them, and equally um, deferring to them at times and getting feedback from them. I, I really think that we need to see a bigger focus on, you know, leaders being actually asking for more feedback and asking for support and learning from other people. It's yeah, so it's it's, a, it's not really a linear journey to leadership. It is, um, I think, a lot of it is passion and curiosity and these sort of reciprocal relationships with people. And it's different for everyone. You know, we're all not passionate about the same thing. If we yes. were, it wouldn't, it wouldn't work as well. And totally agree with what you said around it being, you know, it's your version of leadership. It's authentically what works for you. And uh, that's something that's really helped me in my journey where um, I felt, oh, I'm just this ideas person, you know, that's not going to, not ideas alone are going to get me places. And I've been really fortunate to have amazing people in my team who help make sense of the, the chaos and bring order to that and help uh, put these things in place. And so many of, you know, my team is so amazing at helping me do that. And it's definitely not just just me doing it. and leveraging each other's strengths has been really powerful. And one of our team actually said, you know, I've been the CEO of an organization and I thought that was the thing, the thing that I should do as a leader, but I'm actually an amazing 2IC. And she really is our 2IC within our organization. And it was it's been so powerful, I think, for her to acknowledge that and discover that about herself to go, I'm a great leader and I'm an excellent second in charge leader. And that's okay too. You don't have to be at the front of the room on the stage being the face of it, our, you know, organisation wouldn't work without those individual leaders coming together, leading their own piece of the puzzle. And I think that's so important. I can see you nodding along there. So have you had that experience too with your team? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. But also just another point I wanted to make, and I don't know if you found this as well, but I think often in the pursuit of leadership or even in, in business environments, often you can on the side of having these transactional relationships and I'm hyper conscious of that and I really am passionate about making sure that the relationships I'm building with people and the connections I'm making are really based on authenticity. It isn't just this transactional give and take, I want this from you and I'll get this in return, but very much focused on genuinely learning about one another and recognizing those diversity of skills and really good book that I liked and this is somewhat related to um, the story you mentioned about the 2IC is the oh god what's it called design your life Mm -hmm. and I think it helps sort of frame what your priorities are in life your your priority might not be be a CEO or you might realize that some of the the skills and traits that you really love in yourself or that you really want to hone more aligned to slightly different role and so I really like that aspect of learning about yourself and and figuring out I guess learning about your true authentic self and and figuring out a path that suits that and not just trying to 
become a leader because you have, you know, seen a for one narrow form of leadership modelled to you and you thought that looked cool. It's very much about authenticity, I think. And it can be a process discovering that. And I feel like I'm still discovering that and becoming a, a mum recently for the second time and then going, oh, okay, I'm a mum. Like, oh, sometimes I don't even feel like I relate to being a that's not me. Oh, yeah, I do have children. I am a mum. And then you go, oh, what does that mean? And then who am I now? And I think that authenticity can constantly evolve as well. And just a few weeks ago, I redid my values, which was such a helpful exercise. And like, oh, my values have changed. This is so interesting. And it's not just once you've figured out, oh, here's who I am and that's who I'm going to be forever. You're constantly evolving and changing. And setting goals I've found to be really powerful for that as well because you set a big goal. Okay, I work towards it. Oh, actually, I realised that's not the goal I want to achieve, but I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't have set that crazy goal and worked towards that. So I think it's a constantly changing path as well. And you've been doing this for 10 years. Have yours changed as well over that time? Yeah, mine have definitely changed or evolved, I think. And so what I've started doing is with my goals, I've, with each goal that I might have, and I'll have, you know, maybe a yearly goal and then a goal for a five-yearly goal or 10-yearly goals. And underneath each of those goals, I sort of have these prompts of why do I want that goal? What are the, what are my reasons for it? And I realized when I went through that some of those were very much ego-based or based on what I thought other people would expect of me. And or so, so now I try and align them to sort of a, I guess, a framework in my head. Does this um, does this sit well with me? Does it align to my values? Am I doing this because, you know, will this benefit my career, but equally will this have an impact on community and the environment? And I start, just try and unpack those goals a little bit because I had noticed throughout them that some of them were very much ego-based that, you know, I wanted to get another degree, but I was only doing that because I felt like an imposter in one area. And I don't think that's the right reason to do a degree. And so I was like, do I? And so it's all of these little things where I just try to unpack them and, and recognize my, my motives and drivers for wanting them and then assessing, is that a reasonable reason to do that? Yeah, I love that asking why three times or even five times to go, but why that, yeah. but why that? Go yeah. you know, even for creating We Aspire, it's we love the flexibility of having our own business so we get more time with our children. So while it is, you know, having we love having this impact with leaders and, and emerging leaders in particular and making you know organisations more awesome, there's also that driver of, oh, but I get to, you know, create something around my family that's flexible and all of those things too. So asking those, but why, but why, but why? And getting to the bottom yes. of that because I've totally been the same as you. I've had those, you know, ego goals of like, oh, that sounds flashy and exciting. And like, even um, I think almost societal expectation. And if you found this, but you know, you've received a number of awards and you think, oh, okay, like there's now that expectation of, oh, you've achieved all these things. You've got to like, what's next? And this, like, I often feel like, oh, there's this pressure to keep striving yeah. and making it bigger. And then, yeah, you get caught up in that. Yeah, I don't know if you've experienced that yourself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And especially because I have taken a fundamentally different career trajectory than I thought I would. I, I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to report on, you know, environmental crimes. That was when I was younger. And so my my happy place is sort of being alone and, and writing. And then I've got this career where I'm often speaking in front of, you know, hundreds of people just being quite visible in in climate and nature space and that I mean that brings me a huge amount of um, 
joy and it's very rewarding and fulfilling and it's given me so many great opportunities to have impact but there are a lot of times when I think I need to step back and and go back to my other happy place which is quieter and writing and thinking and learning and and so I just have to make sure I prioritize those aspects as well because I well I'm very grateful for um you know some of those awards and the visibility that has allowed me to have an impact it doesn't always bring me joy and it doesn't always make me it doesn't always encourage me to chase the right things so it is about constantly sitting back and evaluating and reevaluating and making sure that i am focused on my priorities which are to have the most amount of impact that i can in my own small way and to have a life that is filled with you know joy and curiosity and meaning and connection and so i think for me personally it is a lot of pausing and reflecting mm-hmm. on that and making sure that you know a person that i somewhat like <laughs> and somewhat proud of that's a really that's important a one, you know yeah. yeah you have to wake up every morning and remind yourself to i think just the practicing of of kindness it's and I know this, I'm going off topic now, but this is something slightly, slightly controversial. But I just feel like if you're developing into a leader and there is this journey and you have all of these pressures and um, you, it is, there is a system, and I don't know if you found this, that encourages you to have certain behavioral traits that you might not really admire. And so I think it is, and I don't like that part of it. And so I, I said to one of my friends, you have to wake up every morning for everybody, regardless of whether you want to be a leader or not, and remind yourself not to be a wanker. It is that simple. It just reminds yourself to practice kindness. It is Kindness just isn't this inherent thing that sticks with you for life. I think it's a, like a muscle that needs to be honed, that really need to be intentional in. I, I want to I wanna be kind and authentic today and I, I don't want to be a wanker and I want to do things for the right reason. And so I think those little reminders, as ridiculous as they sound, are really, really important. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. As human beings, it's like a natural tendency to be, you could say, be selfish or think of yourself first. You know, whether you're married or have kids, it's like, you know, survival for a human being is yeah. focused on me. And one of our values that we have in our family is about being generous. And there's yeah. no reason to be generous. And you think, oh, you know, I could... I could do this or I could make this choice or whatever is just go, you know, give people the doubt, be generous with your listening of others, be generous with, um, you know, making, we pay people early or paying people early or whatever it is and have that mindset because it's so easy to, to not be that. And it's like, why not be generous? But it does, it definitely takes something for me to think in that mindset. And I think the more that we build that muscle, the more that I think about, okay, like let's, you know, this abundance isn't something yeah. that's the first thing that I think about in the morning. Yeah, um, yeah. even being generous with people. That. I think the benefit of the doubt's a big one as well. Everyone can do that. It doesn't have to be a financial thing around being generous. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And it was certainly, do you find it helps when you have, sorry, I know I've taken over the, the questioning. I love it. <laughs> do you I love find it, it helps when you've, got, when you've got children and it's you want to instill these sort of, help them think about these values and qualities does that help you practice it yourself as well you think oh I want my children to be generous and loving and so I need to make sure I'm role modeling that for them has that yes. been helpful yeah 100%. we think about it so much I love it that you're asking questions back ask as many as you like and <laughs> yeah we think about that a lot and even though Winston our oldest is three at the moment it's something that we go well what are we demonstrating what behaviors are we showing him and we have thought about 
yeah, what are the values of us as a family and what do we want to create in our daily life? And even being a leader at home is something that's really important, whether it's like something really basic, like like tidying up the kitchen, even though you didn't do the dishes and going to bed with kitchen looking really beautiful and clean the benches wiped down and it's such a small thing but really you know that environment and uh showing michael my amazing husband he does way more cleaning than i do i'm not the clean person in the house but um you know role modeling both parents doing those behaviors of whether it's something simple like cleaning or the way that we communicate with each other and that's super important for us when we've thought about what are the key values of our family the fury family that we want to communicate with them and we keep going back to it we've got it actually on our fridge of what are those key things and i've added one this week which is to wow people because i thought that's like another level from being generous is like what if you left people with the experience of being wowed when they met you so that's a new one i'm taking on so prepare to be wowed yeah oh i'm looking forward to hearing about that one Now, you made me think of another question to ask you, which was, I really love what you said around the different, uh, I guess, role models of leadership. And I think this is a really important one. For me, when I've looked at other leaders, I've gone, that's not what I want to be like. And I think I've made the mistake in leadership to go, I want to be like that person, but I'm just not them. And I need to find that authentic voice. And the other part to it too is I think as a society, we're often shown leadership is around being charismatic. It is that extrovert it isn't sitting quietly it is a taking that reflective piece but I feel like leadership the leaders we see is that really tip of the iceberg and the 90% sits underneath whether it's that self-development evaluating yourself as a leader and I remember early on in my career someone said you need to be more assertive and then you'll be a leader and I at the time just thought okay well this is a mentor this is a trusted advisor I'm going to I, I felt really uncomfortable about it I didn't know kind of how to take it on and I yeah, totally resonate with what you were saying around uh, those different modes of leadership and exposing yourself to different leaders. Has that something that you've, I would say deliberately set about, but have you sought out different leaders to model yourself on throughout your journey? Yeah, I have. I, my approach is to just take little bits of wisdom and inspiration from hundreds of different people. Um, so whether I have, you know, I have personal mentors and they all very different and it'll be for different things that might be a mentor to help with my communication a mentor that has just inspired me with their I guess their demonstration of great leadership attributes I admire or a leader who I find who is very different and has a very different experiences to me and so I just like to take a mix and see what resonates with me trial a few things that challenge me to see see if it works to so I, I think it's I want to make sure that I am staying true to myself and honing the qualities that I think really work for me, but I'm also not afraid to trial things that might be a bit foreign to me. And, and you know, whether it might be assertiveness, for example, that's one that come, has come up a lot for me as well. And so trial it a little bit, but I think it's uh, seeing if it works, seeing what parts of it work. So yeah, it's all it's all been trial and error, and I like looking at examples of just old leadership in particular. Whether it's young people through activism, they really inspire me. Whether it's um, you know, there's a lot of environmental companies where their leaders have come out with making really bold environmental statements, or just working with my mentors, and they'll teach me bits and pieces or talk about particular stories throughout their life that have really tested their 
leadership abilities and I just find that really interesting but there's never a, a shy away from putting any one person up on a pedestal mm, I love that and having it be a combination because you do think oh there just has to be one there's like one type and mm. there's a really amazing document that was put together by the Centre for Army Leadership in the UK and they've been teaching leadership for 350 years and they've started to document it it's super interesting what they talk about and other programs have talked about this as well where it's not just one type of leader that you are even if you figure out you know here's my authentic self it's actually a range for different scenarios so they have a, a diagram which is from transactional to transformational so you know coaching style to then you know visionary to then here's here's what we need to do here's the action we need to take and it's so helpful i think distinguishing that because you are going to need different things at different times and you can tap into those authentic pieces of yourself for different purposes so it's always you know changing and it's situational so i think as leaders we need to develop those different pieces of our toolkit to use them at the right times as well yeah absolutely Oh, this has been such a great conversation. I feel like there's so much more I can ask, but we're fastly running out of time. So my last question for you would be, what would most people disagree with you about leadership? Yeah, this one's a tricky one. I'm, I'm not sure if most people would disagree. I mean, there's always going to be people that agree and disagree, but there is a topic I speak about that I think raises some uncomfortable musings, and that's about who we elevate in society. And so I think leadership and role models and influence are often tied together and I take issue with who we elevate in society and so I guess this is adjacent to leadership and it depends how we want to define leadership but for example if we look at some of the social media pages of you know the Red Cross or Nature Conservancy or Climate Council and you compare their followers to or engagement to a, a movie star or an Instagram mm -hmm. influencer they often fall that these non-profit pages or even these amazing you know environmental or social equity thought leaders fall well behind in terms of followers and engagement and I know this is a really narrow metric but I do think that we need to be asking ourselves more that do these do the people that we follow on social media or watch on TV do they reflect the society that we want to live in more than these social impact pages or these incredible mm -hmm. scientists or or incredible authors and so I think it's about being conscious of who we choose to elevate in society mm -hmm. and and trying to make sure that we're the society is reflecting the needs and and priorities and well-being of everyone and i'm not trying to you know criticize movie stars or influencers or anything but they they are thriving in a landscape that we are creating so i think it just gives us a really good opportunity to be very thoughtful and very considered in uh in who and what we are elevating in society i wonder and i, I think that just raises a lot of conversation sometimes makes people uncomfortable because they think oh well I follow Kim Kardashian but that doesn't mean that I'm not interested in climate change and it's not it's not like that we all we all consume these materials every single day tv programs we watch and the media plays a big role in sort of amplifying certain voices but if the majority of what we're reading is about these certain individuals who we don't really even admire then I think we need might need to rethink and 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 just yeah, consider the ramifications that if Daily Mail article about Kim Kardashian is getting one million views, but the you know an article about um, you know young Greta Thunberg or about a climate crisis is only getting a hundred 
you know, reads or views, then it's a little bit of a problem. Um, so it's just being mindful about it, I think. I think that's such a great point. I think it's time to be bold in this conversation. I feel very similar about diversity because while, okay, we've been saying the same stuff about diversity for a long time and you know, I'm very passionate about diversity in engineering because engineers create the yeah. world around us. And so we need to have those voices in in that space as well so it's a huge I think it's a really important point and I think we need to be bold you know what is the world waiting for really whether it's diversity or climate change you know there's, there's no time like we can't waste any time on these big challenges that yeah. we're facing as a society so I think it's such a good point around yeah who we're elevating and uh, we actually ran an event last week and we had had these cards of different leaders and to begin with we thought who's bold and courageous and we're like oh Nelson Mandela and all that you know of course I mean arguably he's incredible right but we went what if we flipped it and what if we had everyday leaders so we had people who did the foundation for young Australian programs that we did there who you've probably never heard of and we actually wrote their names on the back because we knew no one would have heard of them we had this Liberian activist and she'd done this amazing work and won a Nobel Peace Prize and I'd never heard of her until we started researching and so we thought why not spread this message around different like everyday courageous things or this guy ned who ran around like from one end of australia to the other and raised like 1.85 million dollars for charity like these everyday heroes i think are so important and they're the kinds of people that we want to be celebrating and and elevating so i couldn't agree more and i think that's a perfect note to end our podcast on today so if you're listening you know whatever leadership version you have and what's authentic to you is absolutely perfect and i think it's a bit of a call to arms to for everybody to step up and and be a leader in whatever space or whatever passion that you're in thanks so much for having me